0: If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we will go deep with Stephen White, longtime NFL veteran and current super talented SB Nation writer about his love of the TV show Scrubs. You know Scrubs. It was that thing you realized you liked best about Zach Braff once you finally understood that Garden State was a pretentious, overrated pile of garbage. Okay, that's a hot take. It was fine. It was fine for the time. But we go deep. Big conversation with Steven about his love for scrubs. Lots of appreciation for John C. McGinley. Lots of appreciation for uh, Uncle Buck and people who say that's so funny instead of laughing. If you like the show, you're going to love the interview. Stick around for it. I'm your co host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. Joining me, let's start with longtime sports PR rep, Adam Willard. Adam, quick question. I think it was two weeks ago now, Lee Corso from ESPN made his 300th pick on uh, College Game Day. And uh, by the way, like a 656 winning percentage, better than most of the coaches that are uh, appearing on that show. I want to ask you, better impact in their sport, Dick Vitale or Lee Corso? Dick Vitale. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Lee Corso.
1: Yeah, Lee Corso. I mean, if you did a man on the street interview, how many people would know who Lee Corso is?
0: Well, m- most of the community that that buys and or sells uh, number two pencils would. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Lee Corso, Lee Corso who I've invited on the show, show. To, because of his longtime arrangement with a pencil company as like their lead marketer, but he is not quite bit yet. Lee, we're going to get you on.
2: I agree that it's Dick Vitale, but I think it's to me it's that Dick Vitale basically, in my mind, created the mythology of college basketball, whereas I think um Lee Corso other people like Keith Jackson uh had done it before him and he was just a a further iteration
0: yeah I think that's fair you're hearing by the way the voice of uh our seven-time Emmy winning sports producer Gareth Hughes in our Brooklyn bureau um I would say too like I I always make the comparison that 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 men in blazers have that similar effect Corso when he like him putting on the uh him putting on the the mascot head became the signature moment of college football Saturday like lead in and Dick Vitale showing up mm-hmm. and and doing your doing your game became the way that you knew you were in a big game and i think men in blazers with soccer um they're creating that sort of culture too that like the next generation of fans will look at those guys and and, and think of them as sort of the clown princes of the sport which i think some sports need you know not everybody needs to be stoic and and John Gruden walk into the room for the pregame interview it's like you know some sports I think uh, and especially college sports lend themselves well to enthusiasm did you just right. call
1: John Gruden stoic
0: yeah I, I suppose I did I, I I was thinking Jay Gruden <laughs> okay got
1: no.
0: it All right. All right. Uh, okay right now we're gonna take the open of the show and make it wide open and let's go let's kick it to Brooklyn uh, Gareth, uh, wide open this week.
2: All right. Well, first of all, I missed last week's conversation about Dame Lillard's album, but I actually listened to it, so I wanted to throw out a couple thoughts just really quickly. Go yeah. for it. All right. I thought No Punches was a good intro. I thought Marshawn Lynch was a great song. The problem mm-hmm. for me overall was if you didn't tell me that this was an NBA basketball player... I would say that this was a mediocre to lower tier rapper. And uh-huh. nowhere is that more clear than when Lil Wayne is on a track or Two Chains is on a track. Anomaly with Two Chains is where it really jumped out to me. I was like, oh my God, these guys run rings around him. And so I think his stature and probably budget allows him to bring in guest stars and they don't do him any favors.
0: Literally, the- Dame Lillard cannot have those guys run rings around him. <laughs> I'm just going to say I, I refuse to take the blinders off. He is far more agile. Okay? They'll Adam.
2: rings around him then.
1: Gareth, which album did you prefer? Damian Lillard's debut album or this album? And justify
2: I don't remember enough of the debut album, but I would never listen to this one again if it wasn't assigned for the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that. Damn it. You guys, you're killing me with this. I liked it. I liked it better than the last one. I was in on it. I'm not in on allusions to plushy furniture in the, in the, in the club as Adam and I broke down <laughs> in detail. Uh, and I, and I, I'm perp- I'm still Googling to figure out what the Kenny Lofton thing had to do with anything. Uh, where was the key mistake in his career? But, uh, I'm still all in anyway, Gareth wide open. What else do you want to talk about? All right. Well,
2: yeah. So I want to move things forward. Cause you guys all sat through Dame Lillard talk last week, but that's big news in our world. Um, Really, with all that's going on in the sports world, specifically around football and this year, we thought that we had seen a sport where it was tough to watch because of all the off-field stuff. And really, we had no idea what was coming. I just wanted to check in on your fantasy teams, specifically you, Brad, as you got back into it. Has fantasy sports helped you get more in? Are you enjoying it? Uh, is this a decision you regret? That's my question.
0: Uh, Adam asked me about this last week during distractions. Uh, it's been fun to reconnect with the guys. Um, I don't particularly like playing fantasy sports. It's just one, it's kind of like a nuisance. Like on Thursdays, I'm like, oh, crap. I got to set my lineup. Um, but I'm just as, I, it, has, it has not changed how I feel about the NFL. Like, the, the, thing that, the thing that makes me interested in the NFL is, uh, A, when a good game's on, like Packers, Cowboys this week, I was, like, wa- keeping one eye on that while we were cooking and stuff, and then if the Bengals are playing well, then I'm checking my phone and I'm trying to see what they're doing. So I would say my fandom's, like, holding steady what it was last year.
2: Adam, how's your fandom?
0: That's it's a great question. Is, is this in,
1: specifically in relation to fantasy football?
2: Eh, you can expand.
1: Yeah, so I like fantasy football because it does force me to check on the rest of the league. I I mm-hmm. felt like it's been a long time now. It's been seven years, but when I came from working in the NFL, when you work for an NFL team, there's only one team you can pay attention to. And it took me a long time to really be able to focus on other teams other than the two teams I root for, the Broncos and the Packers. Um mm-hmm. but fantasy football is a great way to do that. I'm also um a intensely competitive person. So I really enjoy fantasy football. It hasn't it doesn't really change the way I uh, my feelings for football. Um mm-hmm. you know what's changed my feelings for football? The NBA. I when I go on social media or on Instagram And you see the creativity and the voices and the outspokenness of NBA players um, and the culture that they seem to enjoy and thrive in. And then the corporate nature of the NFL, uh, that does dampen my enjoyment for the NFL a little bit. Or maybe on a positive spin, it helps me appreciate the NBA more. Uh, I I can actually see a day, and I never thought I'd say this, but... I can see a day where I will enjoy the NBA more than I enjoy the NFL. And the NFL career wise has been my bread and butter, but from an entertainment standpoint, I mean like Russell Westbrook signs his multi-year extension on Kevin Durant's birthday. Just doesn't get any
0: better. <laughs> that was time. so great. That was so great.
2: <laughs> uh that's WWE.
0: Shit. I'll say this about Garrett to go back to your question. Like, I think that there's a lot of... This is the time of year where there's all these complaints about the quality of play and and I think all that's overblown. I caught some of that Jacksonville Steelers game and Fournette looked great. Uh, I Todd Gurley's on my fantasy team. I mean, he runs hard. He, like, I, he, he didn't have a great game last week, but there's exciting players still around the league and I think the game is... I think the game is still good. I think it's just... You know, it, there's been all this negativity that unlike other sports that you just have six days of all the crap to get, you know, rehashed. And then, but on Sundays, I I feel like people are still pretty positive about the league. So, I mean, it is what it is. I I think the, the, you know, the NFL is still the juggernaut of sports and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Agree. All right, Adam, wide open, man. All right.
1: Well, speaking of enjoyment for football, another thing that does help my enjoyment of football is a little video game you might've heard of uh called Madden. I buy it every few years. There was a while there where I probably went, uh, six or seven years without playing it. I again bought it this year. I, cr- I would love to create a team of my friends, uh, Brad Burke. You are outstanding pass rushing outside linebacker. I'll have, you know, and <laughs> Gareth, you're doing very well at strong safety and oh, yeah. Joe Reed, you are a hell of an equipment manager. So um <laughs> I am th- thoroughly enjoying the game once again this year. And it made me think about the legacy of the game in general. Our parents knew John Madden as a great football coach. I mean, in our peripheral, we knew that John Madden was a great football coach, but our generation knew him as primarily as a football announcer and broadcaster who made a video game. And now there's a new generation of sports fans and game players that only know Madden as a video game outside of maybe Michael Jordan, his brand. Have we ever seen a phenomenon like that in sports? Where I I remember the first Madden I bought was in 1994. I've purchased it again this year. 23 years later, that is a heck of a streak.
2: I'm so we mentioned it a minute ago about Lee Corso and Dick Vitale. Uh, I think John Madden and the Sable family are the two most important figures in creating the, the myth and the media myth of NFL football, how we watch it and how we relate to it. Um, Look, there's a lot of people that had a lot to do with those broadcasts and Pete Rozelle and all these other people, but like, I think that when you watch a football game or you watch football on TV, what you're expecting and what you get and what you want can be chalked up to NFL films and John Madden. And I think that there is... No overstating his influence on the game. I didn't realize he was a coach until I was, I'd been watching football for years. It was, it just seemed too abstract for me because he just seemed so, I don't know, I don't want to say comfortable, but just kind of timeless in the booth. Like, oh, this is what a football right. game sounds like. And right. um, I was fortunate in my career at the very beginning of it. Uh, the first year I worked on the road, Uh, Bob Stenner and Sandy Grossman were my producer-director team. And it was their last year together for Fox. And they had been Madden and Summerall's team uh, for the CBS years and their Fox years. And just to hear the stories from those guys about what those crews were like and then um, to talk to the guys who lived on the bus with Madden and kind of had to make sure he had everything... He sounded like he was brutal to work for. Um, I'm sure Adam, you heard a ton of stories around Packer's PR. Um, but at the same time, like he Madden is a name. Look, what Madden did is exceedingly rare. First of all, he built the mythology of the number one sport in America, and he managed to keep his name fresh and his legacy alive for an entire new generation of people who probably couldn't pick him out of a lineup. So it,
1: yeah, it, I, is worth I, I mean, out. I have, I have several stories about Madden cause he was still broadcasting when I worked in green Bay and mm-hmm. I'll never forget. Like you don't, it's, it's weird. And, and Brad, you've seen this before. We've talked about this a little bit before. It's weird to see famous people starstruck by other people, but on Friday practice, when the crew would come in for production meetings and John Madden famously does not fly, he would travel via his Outback bus. When that bus pulled into the parking lot at the practice field, no matter what was happening on the field, there was always a rumble because John Madden was coming out onto the field and his assistant would come with a duffel bag full of video games to pass out to the players. It was the closest you get to Christmas in the NFL, and (laughs) I will always remember that and to still play the video game. um, Like, those memories will never leave me. I mean, there's nothing more baller to me than the fact that I got my copy of Madden every year from John Madden.
0: That is so cool. Yeah, that is pretty good. I have a hot take, though, on Madden. On Sega Genesis in the early 90s, Joe Montana football in 93 was a far, far superior game to Madden, and I think ultimately pushed it to become the better product it is today.
1: I agree. and okay. Now it has no, it has no rivals. There, there's no rival football game.
2: There might be no rival, but Brad said this years ago. First of all, I agree on Montana, and that was the last football game I loved. Because I checked out of the video game world, I started reading books. Whatever. I don't say that's not cool. It's just how things went down. Because... When the next version of Madden came out and they had pushed it, as Brad Burke said it back when we were in college, the problem with Madden now is you actually have to be good at football to be good at Madden. Madden, I think, the video game taught more people more about football than Madden the announcer did. But that game is also borderline impenetrable if you don't want to get into football.
1: I have a tip for you. That's why you create a team and you play on rookie mode. Okay. Much, much more enjoyable.
0: I, I just think that it's, it's not so much. I think you have to be good at football, but you definitely have to devote the time to like, like the reps on Madden to just figure it all out. And know like there's this endless plays. There's endless. I mean, I'm sure it's great if you're into it, but who's got that time. I have like seven podcasts to run. i i live by myself so i have the time guys but thanks yeah i have four hours of commuting a day and then i get on the phone with you with you bastards for the my only my one hour of free time (laughs) a week anyway that is wide open god bless john madden Uh, uh i've always said i i thought the reason gruden didn't come back uh to coach is that they had struck a deal for the Madden brand to ultimately become Gruden later. And that they would refresh it with him as the face when Madden died. And uh, I could be wrong there. (laughs) But it seems like... I don't think he has the name to do it. I don't think the name ever changes. Yeah, I now now, Uh, now think that's true. I, I thought for a while after Madden retired that it might shift over but i think just the madden brand it will be like the jordan brand and it, it, it's not like the jordan brand is going to become uh you know the uh, uh the 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 Porzingis, the dame yeah yeah, yeah. madden
1: madden lives on forever um I think the guy's not even involved actively involved in the promotion of the game i can't think of the last time i've heard him comment on the game it's uh his voice is nowhere to be found in the game there's no reference to john madden in the game it's a pretty incredible phenomenon
0: okay that is wide open right now we're going to go to our interview with Stephen white he is a uh, longtime nfl veteran who has really reinvented himself as uh, a really great uh analyst of the nfl who writes a lot about social issues, what's going on around the league and the way that the culture is sort of driving a lot of the narratives around there. Uh, He does his work with SB Nation. You should check him out. Steven is a big fan of the show Scrubs, and so was I for several years. I mean, not all the way where like Eliza Coop from Happy Endings is taking over the mantle and like trying to be like JD, the next generation, But hey, we break that down too in this interview, we go pretty deep, you know, we'll get into best moments, favorite characters, uh, what worked, what didn't, why the show was always sort of on the brink of cancellation and and what it sort of resembles in terms of um, its mix of maudlin, uh sadness uh you know and absurdist humor and its place in the overall kind of sitcom hierarchy of the early 2000s so if you're a fan of the show i think you're really going to enjoy it if you're not you get a few zach braff digs uh, from steven and myself and you get to enjoy gareth trying to keep up with a talk about television when we all know that all gareth did during the early 2000s was sit in a dark room and read The New Yorker back issues. So, I think you'll enjoy it. Stick around, and then after that, the gang will all return for our distractions. Prepare to be distracted. I gotta start with this. Uh, Would you consider yourself... More of a JD, more of a Turk, or more of a Dr. Cox in real life?
3: Probably Dr. Cox. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of my favorite uh, characters on the show. Definitely not a JD. Like it took me a while to figure out, but JD really wasn't that good of a person on that show, even though he was kind of the focal point of the show itself. But yeah, I'm definitely you know, Dr. Cox. Kind of you know, very blunt, very to the point and kind of don't really have time for foolishness.
0: <laughs> I, uh, in full disclosure, I'm someone who always wished I was a Turk, but I'm, I'm a totally a JD. And I completely agree with your assessment that as the show went on, he was like the most disposable character.
3: Yeah, he just, he was he was not a good person. Like some of the stuff he did, man, man. It just, in her, the first time I watched Scrub, I didn't watch it when it was actually on TV. I didn't watch it until it was in syndication. Well, my first time watching it, I I got sucked in, and I kind of thought he was a good guy. But then when I watched it a couple more times, I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Some of some of his choices, man, very very interesting. I put it that way.
0: Now, you said you started watching it in syndication. Uh I mean when was it how how much did you actually get into it before you considered yourself a big fan of the show and I guess where do you where do you feel like Scrubs fits in the best comedies of that era cuz there were a lot from The Office to Friends to 30 Rock so like I guess how far up your rankings would you put the show
3: Um man that's that's a hard question it, it's pretty up there for me it's one of my favorite shows period of any genre uh except for the the last couple seasons I just pretend that they don't really exist um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the first you know like eight seasons i i, I just i'm a, i'm a huge fan of the show uh, i think that they tackled some pretty serious issues in a very uh funny way, but they still kind of made their point at, at the end of the day and so uh i thought that, you know it was just a great show i thought the characters all kind of um uh, mature over time
2: steven i have to ask so you said you got into it through syndication like to me when we were talking about this i reached out to you originally because you were tweeting yo scrubs is back on comedy central in the mornings and do you think of this as the last great show of the syndication era
3: i don't know that's kind of hard to say um but I will say this. Just about everybody knows that I've ever recommended Scrubs to ended up being a fan. So I, I don't okay. know very many people that have actually watched the show that didn't continue to watch the show or need to watch more of it. it it's like one of those shows where you just can't get enough. Um, so I, it's hard to rank shows like this as far as their greatness, but I, I don't think there's any denying that it is one of you know, the top two or three great shows of the syndication of Arrowhead is just so addictive.
0: Yeah, and you, you kind of touched on it. One of the hallmarks of the show was that it mixed some pretty serious emotional, uh, you know, doctor, hospital drama in with the comedy. Uh, and it came, that came at a time when sitcoms had stopped doing that. Like in the 80s, we had our very special episodes, and then Seinfeld and Friends sort of killed that off. Um, and we were no longer sitting through a half hour where like Fresh Prince got shot at an ATM. So d- d- did you did you like the the more heartfelt aspects of the show as much as you did the comedy? Or did you just sort of, I know some friends who really liked the comedy and the absurdistness of it, but they just kind of sat through the the more maudlin stuff uh, by default. They didn't really get into it. So wh- where do you fall on that spectrum?
3: I, th- I think the more that I watched it, the more I appreciated it. The, the somber occasions. Uh, probably the first couple times through is more just getting a laugh because it is hilarious. But, you know, the more you go through it, um, Nurse Roberts, when she uh, died. I mean, that's one of my favorite. Spoiler alert. Well, well I mean, it happens a while into the show, but I mean, it's one of my favorite <laughs> episodes, even though every time I watch it, I get a little sad. So, um, just, you know, the, it was kind of like a two episode, uh, storyline, but, you know, for her to be so hopeful and trying to look for the good and everything and Dr. Cox being a downer, he's trying to get her to lose faith basically. And then, and then she kind of wins that little mini battle with with dr cox and then come you know he's back in the hospital and she's been on a wreck and she's gonna pass away of course nobody really stays dead <laughs> on scrubs so <laughs> <made our> pants <laughs> after that but, but but it's just you know those emotional um episodes i'll give you another example um there was an episode where there's a wealthy donor and just a regular guy and they both needed like this special experimental treatment. And, of course, um, the, uh, Dr. Kelso, always going for the money, picks the rich guy. And everybody's upset. And they were saying, you know, they were making it seem like everything was so, so easy for him. And as soon as he left the hospital, he could just kind of leave all the, the troubles behind. But this one took the time. It affected him, too. The fact that he picked the rich guy allowed him to open a women's clinic because they had the money for it. But in doing so, he condemned this other guy to die. And it just kind of showed you the, the, the kind of, you know, just tough choices that he had to make. And it's finally this one time he, he's leaving the hospital and he you can tell he's actually troubled by it. So, like I said, those somber parts kind of grew on me and became more of why I actually enjoyed the show than just the comedy and the laughs.
2: Okay, so then with that in mind, I have to confess that I watched this show probably like three or four times years ago and then left it behind. I never really got into it. So when, Stephen, when you said you were in on this, I put it to the group at Just Not Sports and said, he wants to talk scrubs. Brad was like, yo, I, I got this, don't worry. But to somewhat... To someone like me who hasn't, how? What are the three or four episodes you would tell me that I should
3: watch to get into Scrubs? To get into Scrubs, mm. I mean, there's so many good ones, and, and it's hard because sometimes if you weren't, if you haven't watched it all, you won't get some of the jokes or you won't get some of the stuff that's right. going on. Um, yep. But I don't think. <laughs> Anything where it's kind of the main character on that episode. The the janitor, I think, was one of the most underrated characters on that show. And he was always into some foolishness and always uh, 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 chasing after J.D. So, like, (laughs) uh, I know there was the one episode where he was, uh, he kind of fooled with with J.D.'s girlfriend, fooled her into going on a date with him or what have you. Yeah, Elliot. He kind of fooled her into going on a date with him. I thought that was pretty funny. uh, Pretty funny episode. Let me let me throw one at you.
0: Let me throw one at you real quick. Do you remember the one where they like JD finally started to make money, and so he and Turk bought the Eddie Murphy leather suits from the Eddie
3: Murphy (laughs) 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 That would really got got me. Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah. And they can't move. They're having a big fight, and he's trying to storm out. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's, that's
2: absolutely a good one, too. Well, it's funny you mentioned The Janitor, because that's the one thing that in the last couple of years got me to look on the internet about the show, because I think The Fugitive is one of the best movies of the 2000s, basically. And so when the they discovered that The Janitor was the cop that got shot on The Fugitive cuz it was the same actor. I was like, "Okay, this show might be kind of brilliant." And I I did seek out that episode and watch watch it. Like they licensed the fugitive and everything. So
3: Yeah, that was that was hilarious cuz you know it, he because he was playing it off the whole episode like it wasn't. <laughs> that yeah, that was pretty funny.
0: Unlike say Seinfeld, which is really about Specific episodes, uh, except for a handful of, you know, like season four, which had a lot of longer storylines. Um, I think I, I grouped Scrubs into like, I guess, arcs, like four or five episode arcs, where maybe JD is dating a certain uh, character, or uh, a certain thing is happening that kind of connects around, or, or or whatnot. Like, I don't, I don't, I guess, I don't judge the value of the show. Episode to episode, as much as as much as maybe other shows I remember of this time, like Thirty Rock or The Office, for example, which with the, well, the storylines felt a little bit more self contained. Would you Would you agree with that assessment? Maybe. Right,
3: it, it, it's kind of like what I said earlier. You, you kind of have to know what's going on to that point to really appreciate it. And to your point about art, High Coma Wife, right? That was a hilarious art. <laughs> You know, right. which includes the scene with them having sex at a funeral. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> right. uh, I mean, that was a funny there. art, right? But you can't pick just one of those episodes out, or you won't get why it's funny in the first place. So it, yeah, I think that's probably a more fair way to judge Scrubs is to go by, you know, either who JD was uh, <laughs> dating at the moment. Or something like that, and kind of describe the arcs.
0: This is the only show that actually made Tara Reid seem like a competent actress. Like she had an arc on the show as as his girlfriend that actually worked out. They made Mandy Moore look good way back when she was. Most people still thought of her as a singer. So did you did you have a, a, a Heather Graham did a long stint on the show? Elizabeth Banks before she was on Thirty Rock. So did you have a specific girlfriend for JD that you thought was? particularly funny or compelling, or, or did they all kind of bleed together after a while?
3: Well, he never really got to date Heather Graham's character, uh, Dr. Molly Clark. Oh, so I right. think she was probably one of the more interesting characters on the show. Uh, I, remember that one time, I remember one time when Dr. Kelso and Dr. Cox double-teamed her to try to make her lose her sunny disposition or whatever. It was crazy. And she still kind of ended up playing them because... She was just faking like she was sad, but I mean, I I, I think they would have made a pretty good couple. It, it's it's crazy that he still ended up with um, I can't I keep uh Terri or That he ended up with Elliot, considering <laughs> I mean, Elliot slept with his brother, slept with different doctors <laughs> at the hospital, and you know, look, your choices are your choices, but you know, your brother—that's a little close <laughs> for me. I, I, yeah, really, I, I really love
0: how you. I love how you remembered Heather Graham's character from seven episodes of this nine season show, but but have twice now f- struggled to remember Elliot as the as the the co-lead. And I think that kind of sums it up. Like her character was always sort of hit or miss throughout the entire show. I, I thought she was great. But they didn't it always felt like they didn't quite know what to do with her. And I think that whole Ross Rachel storyline with her and j d drifted so far apart that even today I had to Google, oh, my God, they wound up together. I thought I thought for sure that yep. he wound up with Elizabeth Banks, <laughs> and I was wrong.
3: Right, and, and and he should have. The way they wrote it, you would have thought, after he found out that she st- still was having a baby, that they were going to work it out. But the writer said, no, <laughs> we're going to give them right. one more chance. We're going to give him an Elliot one more chance, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't really know how it worked out the way, but I just thought that, I thought Molly Clark because she was a psychologist and always reading people. And JD was always doing the whole, you know, talking inside his own head. They'd have made a perfect funny couple kind of playing off each other, but they, they never quite, um, got around to dating. Cause of Elliot. Is what I'm
2: Can I like, here's one thing that fascinated me about this show as I was researching it. And I'd like to hear from both of you on this. Like, This show got better guest stars than just about, like, than I ever would have expected. You already mentioned Heather Graham, Brendan Fraser, I think Courtney Cox was a a part of it for a little while, Michael J. Fox, Um, any others that I should know about as I begin to dig into, uh, as I begin... Heather Locklear was on it.
0: Michael J. Fox. Did you mention Michael J. Fox? He had a nice arc on the show too, where I think I think he actually played a doctor with Parkinson's, unless I'm or, or unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, right? he did. What's up? Not,
3: well, he had like eighty. He had he had some kind of obsessive compulsive. Right. Thing. Right. I don't think they called it Alzheimer's. I think they oh, called huh? it like some kind of obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, but yeah, he did have a very interesting arc. Um, who,
2: who else? Okay, um, uh, whoever it was. What? Oh, Z's <laughs> sorry. Young MC.
3: Yeah, bust the move. <laughs> oh my god! That uh, was, okay, uh, that was a funny episode. He just—he so just randomly
2: was in a, in an episode. Okay, so Young MC is randomly in an episode. We have we've licensed the Fugitive and put that in there. Like, what? Wh- this show clearly embraced the pop culture of its time and put us in a universe that the viewers existed in.
3: Correct? Oh yeah. Listen, uh, there's this one episode where uh, Doctor Cox ends up with the lame, with a limp, and, and walking with a cane, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like yep. a, it's an obvious parody house. So they definitely like <laughs> let the fans in on the joke when you watch the show.
0: Let's talk about nice. Dr. All Cox. Right. Let's talk about Dr. Cox for a minute because number 1, I have no idea how John C. McGinley didn't win an Emmy for this role. He's so good. He's the only char- I, he's the only character in my opinion who never got worn out by the end. I think by the end most, on most sitcoms, the characters kind of become parodies of themselves, and JD is just mugging for the camera like a cartoon the entire time. and they, they blew Turk's storylines with Carla and that kind of they kind of ran out of steam with that. But no, like every time he came on with like, uh, you, know, Ripping JD and, and, and just like going off in one of his <laughs> monologues, like I loved it. So I, when you first saw that character, uh, and especially as someone who says you're kind of that way in life, um, how quickly did you sort of fall in love with the role of Dr. Cox? And when did you start to root for him, even though he plays sort of a quasi-villain in half the episodes?
3: Right away, like immediately, I gravitated to that character just because he was so funny and so direct. Like, he was the one character that had never beat around the bush. And he always kind of tried to stick to his own morals, even to his own detriment at times. He always wanted to be independent he always wanted to do everything by himself. And like you said, he took great joy in tormenting uh, J.D., but then behind the scenes, they would show him giving J.D. his props. You know, that was the thing about him. He was mean, but he was fair. And so uh, I just thought his character was awesome. Like you said, he just had so much um, depth to him. Uh, and, and they kind of peeled back the layers totally so you kind of got to see who he was right now and then later on you get to see how he got
0: to be there in the first place. Yep, exactly. And I don't think they, I think the best, the best choice the show ever made to me was when they brought his, his, his on again, off again love interest Jordan into the fold to sort of offset his meanness because she was even meaner. It reminds me when Frazier got a spinoff and instead of them saying, hey, let's, Let's juxtapose Kelsey Grammer being uptight with like a a rebel a brother. They were like, "No, let's go even more uptight and and she, Krista Miller played the character, and she had come from Drew Carey, where she was just kind of like the girl next door. She was a completely vacant vessel of a person, and then she came on the show and she was just every time she and Cox were on screen together, they were great and they were back and forth, and it was like really mean and ballsy and funny did like what would you say about? their dynamic and um, and how it, it worked on the show.
3: I, I thought it was great. Like you said, you know, the very first time you see them together, you don't even know that they're ex-wives. You just know they're at each other's throats. And, oh, by the way, J.D. had just slept with her. So, right. I mean, <laughs> you know, they just are at each other's throats. But over time, again, they kind of evolved a little bit. They soften up a little bit. They don't like the fact that they're softening up and that they actually do really like each other, but it happens anyway. And so, you know, them having the kid, and that was kind of a a, a way for them to get Dr. Cox to evolve too because they definitely used uh, them having a the child for, you know, to soften him up a little bit. But it was just like they were both so sharp. <laughs> you might have an episode where Dr. Cox isn't going this hard, but then she is. Because she was always ready to attack somebody. I remember, remember when she came in, like the 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 end of season two, one or two, she comes in like the last episode and tells everybody's business. <laughs> it's right. like, yeah. wow. So, uh, I mean, she I thought she did a great job with that character, but they just had great chemistry on film, on, on TV together too.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you, Mike, my- my favorite moment of my favorite moments of the show, plural are, are with those two together, especially like, I know that exact mic drop moment you're talking about where everyone kind of shames her into being like, into feeling bad about how mean she is. And then she just unloads, on everybody and just walks out and it's like she's made everything worse i will say my favorite moment of the show ever was when jd's dating mandy moore and realizes she doesn't laugh she just says that's so funny over over. <laughs> that's so funny so, <laughs> so, so, funny. so yes. turk, turk is like don't worry man i'm gonna do immersion therapy for you and he's like he's like we're gonna sit down and she's gonna say that's so funny so much that you just get used to it and he's like how are you gonna do that And he's like i'm not going to but Uncle Buck is. And then it just cuts to her eating popcorn and watching the movie. And she's like, That's so funny. That's so funny. That huge pancake is so funny. <laughs> 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 I love it, man. I love it it was a, Look, it was an absurdist show. It, to Gareth's point, it wove in a lot of. It was kind of like a Bill Simmons column. It wove in a lot of 80s and 90s nostalgia uh, through the eyes of JD. But at the same time, it was really absurdist. And I think it influenced. The way that 30 Rock would kind of like flash away to something crazy happening. I mean, they totally pulled that from Scrubs. I mean, that was the whole signature of the show. Um, Okay, then I have to ask something. You guys both seem to
2: like it. This seems like a good show. Help me, especially from the vantage point of 2017, handle the Zach Braffiness of Scrubs.
0: All right. I mean, yeah, that... Stephen. Steven, you all do right. your do your best to do your best to get to do this one, man, because he's a as his career has gone on, he's become much tougher to defend as a comedy legend.
3: <laughs> well, like I said, kind of the more you watch the show, the more you're gonna not like JD. I think because, you know, I'm gonna give you a perfect example: the time when, um, Elliot had all her stuff stolen. And J.D. was in his feelings, so he didn't even try to comfort her. Like, so many times you see situations like that, stuff he would say, just things he would do. Uh, He ran away from, um, um, what's her name, who was pregnant with his child. (laughs) And and it's just like, this dude was not really that good of a dude. I thought Turk was a much better friend to J.D. than J.D. was to Turk, just to be honest with you but you you have to kind of look for the other characters dr kelso man dr kelso is so funny i swear to god who has two thumbs and doesn't give a crap bob kelso i just (laughs) he has great lines throughout the whole thing so i think the -hmm. more you focus in on zach braff when you're watching the show the more you're not going to like the show but the more you kind of expand the horizon and focus on some of the other uh uh ancillary characters who are really funny too I think you enjoy it a little
0: bit more. He, Gareth, he was really good at the start. I thought he was a he was a real dude. He was a vulnerable guy on TV, uh, in the same way that like Ross was at the start of Friends. Uh, he was kind of kooky and out there, and I thought he and and Turk had a ton of really great uh, chemistry. Uh, Donald Faison plays Turk. The problem was as the show became as he became more and more of the vehicle of the show. He, his performance got more and more uh, kind of cloying and annoying. And then he made Garden State and, and started directing episodes. And I mean, he might have started directing before he made the movie, but you can definitely see it. Like he directed the Wizard of Oz episode, which I find to be the most pretentious in the, in the series. <laughs> and you start to see more like long form musical montages, which was kind of like a Zach Braff thing. So if you were to watch the show, I think you'd see how once he started to think he's like the next big filmmaker, uh, I, I just feel like he became over the character and less interested in the part and was probably focusing more on his next move in Hollywood or, or, imprinting his own aesthetic onto the design of the show, if that makes sense, Stephen.
2: No, it's actually really interesting. Um, it's funny, too, because between that and, Stephen, what you were saying, my impression of Scrubs was that this was a Zach Braff vehicle. Um, and in talking it out here, it seems like it's a much different world than I expected.
3: Right. Like, it, it, is, it is a Zach Braff vehicle. It, it, he is the central character. But the other characters, they developed them so well and so deeply that you can uh, you can definitely focus on them a little bit, too. You know, the whole uh, mm-hmm. Turk and collar dynamic. Uh, you know, the stuff with, with, with Bob Kelso and Dr. Cox, they had epic battles back and forth right up until the end. And then all of a sudden, somehow at the end, they end up being friends. So uh, if you can kind of Take your focus off of Zach Braff a little bit. I think you enjoy the show, especially as you said in those later years. Um, you really kind of get to see a lot more of the other characters, maybe than you saw Zach Braff's character.
0: And they kind of ran out of ideas for for you know his dynamic uh, with 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 Turk. I, every every one of these shows kind of has that jump the shark moment uh, where the show stops being good. For me, it was when J D. and Carla kissed. And I remember just being like, what are they doing? Like, that would never happen. This is totally bizarre. So for you, when did you think the show fell off? And I know you mentioned the last few seasons. I mean, the final season is a legendary disaster. That You know, JD's in half the episodes. They move to a teaching hospital. It's kind of like after MASH uh, or Joey when he got a spinoff. <laughs> um, so when did the show lose, lose its steam for you? Do you have a, a specific moment or, or around a time?
3: Yeah, like I said, uh, we don't even talk about those last couple seasons. They don't even really exist, so they don't even count. But um, Hmm. I I think right around um, really around the time where uh, J.D. was having a child, he was moving out, so that meant him and Turk couldn't really hang out anymore. Uh, It was awkward again because – um, they transition from him being about to be a dad to all of a sudden he's with uh, Elliot again. And then, you know, Elliot is kind of going to help him co parent, but they all know each other. It's just awkward. And then at first, uh, JD wasn't really doing what he was supposed to do as a, as a dad. It was just like stuff that it it, it, it it most of it wasn't funny anymore. And a lot of it was just kind of absurd. So, you know, at some point, you get. You're just like, okay, none of this is making sense anymore. Y'all should just say that everybody grew apart and maybe get new friends or something. But they tried so hard to keep these divergent storylines intertwined that it just didn't make any sense anymore.
0: Yeah, and they, they brought in like those new crop of students at the end, including Eliza Coop, who kind of became the lead of the show. She later was on Happy Endings, which is another show I actually really liked. Um I can't tell what's what's a worse kind of last gasp reboot with new kids. Was it Scrubs' final season, or was it Saved by the Bell, the new class? What do you think, Steven?
3: Man, it's close. It's close. They both terrible.
0: <laughs> uh,
3: it just Because you know why? Because they brought in the new kids. But if you notice, they really try to kind of pigeonhole them and being like the old characters. You know, mm-hmm. he had the different – you know, the the, the the number one was supposed to be a Dr. Cox clone. You know, he had anger issues and stuff like that. It's just like the, if you're going to try to do that, then you need to change the direction completely because it, otherwise it's just like it's, it's, it's terrible. And that's how it was. I mean, it's just none of the characters were really compelling to me. None of them really mattered. They never really did anything that made sense. And so, like I say, I, I usually just I act like those seasons don't. I, I was, I wanted some more seasons of Scrubs, bad. I, I was like, man, I want some more. They say be careful what you ask for sometimes, because you might get it. And and that was, and this is a perfect illustration of that. All
2: right, well, Stephen, I really appreciate you coming on because I've been wanting to talk to you this summer because I love your writing. So this is a a plug for that. You're a former football player who's doing some really interesting political commentary right now, and but really what it took to get you on the show was a tweet that was, oh shit, everybody, 9 a.m., Comedy Central, every morning, Scrubs is back in the syndication rotation. So I know what I'll be doing tomorrow morning at 9. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>, and me too.
2: <laughs> All, right. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: And we are back in the sports world when athletes, coaches, media do something interesting that, like, is a real passion point that they love. Uh, We tell them collectively as a society of sports fans to quit being a distraction and get back in the film room uh, watching game tape. That's crazy. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we end every, every week by telling you what is distracting us. Uh, gents, I'm going to go first. And uh, much to our listeners' chagrin, I'm going to continue what I started last week, and that's talking about Halloween time horror movies. Now, I'm not going to power rank. <laughs> unlike last week, I'm not going to power rank uh, all the terrible movies. But I do want to talk about this Halloween movie that's coming out. Have you guys heard about this? No, Brad. No. no. Okay. It's actually really interesting uh, to me. The, to whom? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, there's a new movie coming out. It's a new Halloween movie, which everyone was kind of like, yeah, yawn. You know, there's been like seven of them. They're terrible. Plus the Rob Zombie reboots, which are two of the worst movies ever made. Um, And they're redoing it. They're The, the, the word came out a, a while ago that there's going to be another Halloween movie. But it's coming from a really odd place. So it's David Gordon Green, who was the director of Pineapple Express, that James Franco, Seth Rogan movie. And then it's being co-written by Danny McBride, who you guys know from East huh. Pound and Down and that hmm. kind of stuff. But they work together on East Pound and Down. That's right. Like, I think yeah.
2: David uh, Green like developed it with him. So yeah,
0: I, There's no indication it's going to be a comedy. I just think these guys are huge fans of this franchise and said, we want to resurrect it. Jamie Lee Curtis is coming back, which raised all sorts of questions since her character has now died in two separate movies. Um, <laughs> she's going to play Laurie Strode, but the real news is the film picks up after the first one and ignores all the sequels. And that was confirmed, I believe, uh, a week or two ago by John Carpenter himself. This is a huge okay, story so implication. So th- in the same way that if if they were going to make a Star Wars, if they were going to reboot the original 70s, 80s Star Wars, and they started it after Star Wars, there's a scenario where Luke and Leia are not brother and sister or don't have to be because that was never revealed. Laurie Strode uh-huh. is Michael Myers's sister. That was revealed in the second one. But if they're picking up after the right. first, that doesn't necessarily have to have to be the case. So I guess guys, I guess what what America's wondering is can they can they do it?
1: Can they do what?
0: Can they bang?
1: Oh well, sure, Brad. Oh. Is that what you're hoping for? <laughs> I didn't I did not
0: see I did
1: not know this is the direction we were going.
0: Do you guys even read my emails? It's mostly just fan erotic fan fiction. Oh, I really thought
1: there was a specific email about this I missed.
0: Well, no, I do I do think it begs the question whether uh, you know, whether they're going to carry on those types of things. I but this is a weird franchise. It, it was never really supposed to be a slasher film. The original Halloween is a classic. Um, I mean, it sort of like redefined the slasher genre but in an artsy interesting way. Uh, Um, but then later when Freddie and Jason kind of blew up and made money every summer, they decided to make Michael Myers more of this crazy supernatural entity. Uh, and I, I I will say, I will say don't sleep on Halloween three, which is the one that doesn't have Mike Myers in it at all. That was when they were going to make this entire series an anthology that came out every Halloween with an entirely different story. And I still think that's an awesome Mm. idea. Like, they should do like, Halloween the idea. show on, like, or do it as, like, a Netflix series or something with, like, an anthology series, and maybe Michael Myers is in it, and maybe he's not. Like, anyway. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what Danny McBride and, and uh, David Gordon Green do with this. I I, I wouldn't even mind if they wove in some funny elements. I mean, Lord knows Buster Rhymes was pretty hilarious in Halloween 5, the curse of Michael Myers. <sighs> Adam, you didn't see right, that one? I'm going to jump in before this becomes a
2: another power ranking. Please do. Yeah. Okay, uh, good. Gareth. Um, yeah. So this month has been a murder's row for me of my daughter's birthday, my wife's birthday, uh, one of our best friend's wedding, and then my son's birthday. So I'm just trying to keep my head above water and I'm having a hard time finding distractions. What I can fit in on my commute is music as always. And I've been trying to get away about with um, I've been trying to get away from just talking about music in this space, but this week we're going back to it. Because I was talking to someone or I was reading Twitter last week, and I follow a woman, um, and her Twitter name is Jules N Binoculars. And I'm so jealous of that name. Because it comes from a line from my favorite Bob Dylan song, Visions of Johanna, where he says, jewels and binoculars hang from the head of a mule. I have, I did the math, I have six different versions of Visions of Johanna on my phone, <laughs> for depending on my mood. Four by Bob Dylan, and two by the Grateful Dead, covered late in their career. Um, I think it's one of the best songs ever written. Uh, for just weird, almost uh, T.S. Eliot-style poetry about love and longing and things like that. So I would recommend this week take six minutes and listen to Visions of Johanna. The original is on uh, Blonde on Blonde. There's about five different versions that were released on a box set last year. And my current favorite was on the No Direct, was an outtake that is now released on the No Direction Home soundtrack, the Martin Scorsese documentary of Bob Dylan that was released a few years ago. But give Visions of Johanna a listen. All
0: right. All right. All uh, right. Sounds good. Okay. Adam, what's distracting you? Well, as we all know,
1: as I mentioned, pretty much every podcast. I once lived in Wisconsin, and one of the habits that I picked up there that I haven't been able to shake, I've debated about whether to talk about this or not, is um, in times in my life where I'm stressed, I pick up the nasty habit of chewing tobacco. So not the long cut, but the pouches or bandits, as you might be familiar with. So I would like to quit. And I wanted to give Brad and Gareth the opportunity to place some kind of wager or punishment on this because I've realized that I have no willpower, but public shaming and gambling do have a way (laughs) of ridding me of bad habits. So uh, looking for creative solutions or shaming, guys. Go ahead. Just eat, eat the dip. Yeah, but I want to quit. No, if, if you I can't, don't, if you don't, then you got to eat a dip. I have to eat it. That wouldn't be the worst thing. I've swallowed it before. Ugh. Really? Hmm. This, as someone with a, Brad, if you don't like gum, this would really gross you out.
0: Yeah, no, I, I could I could never. I mean, I wouldn't even touch dip, how about, How about, I'll let you guys think about it next
2: week all right that's a that's a distraction challenge for our next episode
0: okay i'm in on that i'm all in right. on that all right well and listeners let us know just not sports at gmail or find us on twitter at just not sports and uh give adam some particularly gruesome suggestions right now that yeah, is- nobody
1: nobody by the way uh i a couple episodes ago i said to text me about fishing nobody's texted fuck off
0: (laughs) well if you keep telling our listeners to fuck off i'm sure they're gonna be right on the uh let's go hang out uh trek but uh, keep listening so that's our show for this week give a shout out to our guest give a shout out to joe reed producer extraordinaire continues to be mia if you have information on joe let us know uh gareth any shout outs on your end yeah happy birthday to my entire family (laughs) <laughs> holler there you go uh adam
1: yeah. uh just a few shout outs i'd like to shout out uh my boy uzi deaf jeff little swanny meach ron mack and not to be confused with my other cousin ron
0: and in the immortal words yeah. of rapper extraordinaire shaquille o'neal Booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Hey booty. Mm. Stay booty. (laughs) Uh.
3: When they know I'm in they zip code. code. Best believe they send they info. Uh. Running my game like Nintendo. Uh. Marshawn Lynch, you know what I'm here for. You know what I'm here for. Baby